0: If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1st Timothy chapter 1. We've been working our way through this book, 1st Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was a I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was. Shown mercy, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with faith and love, which are found in Christ. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found favor so that in me, as the foremost Christ, might demonstrate His perfect patience. As an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. And I pray, Lord, as we open this book and we we look into this passage that You would give clarity and understanding. Um, And Lord, give us uh, insight into how we can apply this to our own life. May we never just soak the Scripture in and just bring it in without having an output. and, and, And let and. Unless it's worked out in our life, Father, it does no good. So, Lord, help us to apply these things. We thank You for this privilege of being able to gather together around this Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is is presenting. He is sharing his testimony. Now, he's sharing his testimony with Timothy. And Timothy knows his testimony. He knows what Paul has gone through. And so some people would think and look at this passage and think that Paul is really sidetracked. He is getting off on a rabbit trail. He's distracted a little bit. But in sharing his testimony like this, it it verifies, it validates the life-changing power of the gospel that Paul was entrusted with, and that fits the context perfectly, doesn't it? Paul was entrusted with this gospel. In fact, that's the last thing that we read in verse 11. He said, this, this gospel with which I was entrusted. And then he, then he fleshes that out, how, he, how that gospel has worked in his life. So that perfectly fits the context. And the false teachers, well, they were, they were messing that up. This gospel, this, this doctrine, this teaching. And Paul then is, has left Timothy at Ephesus. And now he's sending him a letter to correct some of the thinking, some of the teaching maybe of the false teachers, the church there in Ephesus. And they're probably teaching some form uh, of, uh, of Judaism, uh, probably a, a works-based salvation, um, based upon the, the Old Testament law, and, and in some way of, uh, of gaining favor with God, gaining God's grace. But what Paul is showing us here is that the law really is shallow, And it's no gospel at all, according to uh, what he said in Galatians. There's absolutely no power to change life. And in contrast, Paul, Paul, the gospel that he was entrusted with, has the life-changing power, life-changing ability. So then, if the false teachers take a stand against Timothy and the people are watching, they're going to say, well, who do we believe? Paul and Timothy or these false teachers? And what it comes down to is uh, which word is reliable. And it's the word that has a a power, a a life-changing power to it. And Paul, of course, was the epitome of a changed life, wasn't he? By the power of the gospel, Christ working in his life and heart. And so he shares his testimony. And again, it gives credibility to what he's saying. And uh, the authority that Timothy then has to, to say these things. And he rehearses this. He rehearses his testimony um, how, of God's transforming grace. How God has, has changed him. And what you see is it, it motivates him for ministry. In fact, uh, I've entitled this sermon, uh, God's Transforming Grace, but it very easily could be entitled, uh, Motivation for Ministry. Motivation for Ministry. Now, here's what I want us to see. You'll see it on the screen. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, val- is validated by a transformed life. It's validated by a transformed life. And that brings, that leads to praise to God. Now if you want to be motivated as a believer, if you want to overcome uh, depression, if you want to, to uh, get rid of the spiritual apathy in your life and to be uh, get rid of discouragement in your life, then you need to rehearse, you need to go over the transforming grace of God. What God has done in your life. That's exactly what Paul is doing. And he's rehearsing it, not just for them, but for us. So that we can see this Gospel has a power to change life. Now here's what I want us to do. Just a quick ask, ask this question here. How does Paul describe his conversion experience? Now his conversion was pretty dramatic. You remember, he's on his way to Damascus and he has papers in his hands to uh, to crush the church. To even imprison those uh, those believers. And that's exactly what he was doing. And Christ came down in a, just a, a light and spoke to Paul and, and said, Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul says, uh, Who am I? I, did, I didn't realize I was doing that. And the Lord corrects him. And so a dramatic salvation experience that Paul has. And what's interesting here, though, is that Paul really doesn't even mention that. He, he could mention the drama and... and all that takes place there but he doesn't he he deals with the spiritual reality of his of his conversion experience and what paul is doing is he's bringing the spiritual reality and this uh, of the and the the physical world of of his involvement and he brings the two together and you see perfectly god's sovereignty and man's response man's responsibility there and that's exactly what Paul is doing. And so, what I want to do here is just go through each verse, one verse at a time, from verses 12 to down to verse 17. And I want you to see Paul's viewpoint of his conversion, of what God has done for him, this transforming grace in his life. First of all, we see Paul's privileged position, and the key word there is thankful. Paul is thankful. Look at verse 12. I thank Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul is, is thankful for three things here. He's thankful for strength, for uh, the enabling power of God. Spiritual vitality, you might say. So he's thankful to God. He's recognizing God's work in his life, and he says um, he is thankful also that he was considered faithful. Now he was considered faithful because God was strengthening him. God was the one that was at work in his life. God was the one that was producing that. God was the one that was doing that. And then he was he's also thankful for God putting in him in service, into service. Now, Paul's position was an apostle, remember? He was an apostle of Christ Jesus, and he was entrusted with this this gospel, but he considered himself just a a servant, diakonos, that's the word here, putting me into service. Just a, a servant role, Paul says, and Paul is very thankful. Paul is very thankful. Paul recognizes God's, Christ's work in his life. It's not just a decision that he made. It's not just his actions. It's not just his, uh, his uh, work in the church. It's none of that. No, he was strengthened by God. He recognized God's work in his life. Paul never got over the fact that God saved him, did he? He never really got over that, that fact. And you get the idea here that Paul's gratitude motivated his whole life. And, and you would be right. There is complete dependence upon God. There is consistent um, mindfulness of God's um, God's presence in His life. There was very little apathy. There was no fear with Paul. He was fully dedicated, and I think it was motivated because he was just so thankful for God working in his life. There comes spiritual vitality. Spiritual vitality. This is this wasn't just Paul in his enthusiasm. No, no, Paul was, Paul was uh, being empowered, if you will, by God. <clears throat> now, how do we apply this, man? If you want to be motivated in your life, if you want a life that is devoted over to worship of God. And ministry for God. It's going to come. There's no better, no greater motivation than thankfulness to God. Than a gratitude toward God. It drove Paul. It drove Paul. Now let me ask you and I ask myself. Does gratitude of God's grace motivate you? Does it motivate you? I am so thankful to God that I'm I'm motivated for Him. There's an enthusiasm. There's a strength that God gives me. There's a a drive in my life. That's what Paul is saying. It's a a supernatural thing. It's God's work in his life. It's the power of the Gospel. So God was at work in Paul's life. And it yielded thankfulness. Thankfulness. Number two. Paul's former position. Look at verse 13. Even though... So Paul has this privileged position that he's so thankful for. He's just serving his God. He says, even though I formally... I don't deserve this position because this is the way I was. Formally, a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. In ignorance and unbelief. And Paul was was recognizing, he was realizing things from God's point of view. Now, if you would have seen Paul before he was converted, you would look at Paul and say, man, he is a righteous man. If anybody's going to get to heaven, Paul's going to get to heaven. I mean, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He he was keeping the law. He was zealous for God. But really, he wasn't. He He, he wasn't. He began to realize things from God's perspective, and from God's perspective, he was a blasphemer. He was a blasphemer. A blasphemer is one who defames, who slanders, who brings injury—literally injury—to God. He is actually fighting against God. He was a blasphemer, fighting against God. He was a, a persecutor. Literally, this it means one who pursues, one who hunts something down—a hunter. And Paul, that's exactly what Paul was doing, wasn't it? He was hunting down the church. He was going to kill the church. church of Jesus Christ. And he was a violent aggressor. That means that he was just deliberately, intentionally mistreating people. Hurting people. He was a bully. He was a bully. That was Paul's former life. This is the way I was. Now, notice though, he said, I was a blasphemer. Now, remember, in verse 20, if you look down at verse 20, he says, "...among those are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have uh, handed over to Satan, put out of the, the safety and comfort of the church, and let Satan have his way with them, so that they would be taught not to blaspheme." Now, what's the difference between those, those two uses of the word blaspheme there? Paul is blasphemous. blasphemous. He, he, was, he was fighting against God. These were fighting against God, but they were doing it willfully, Intentionally in full light of the truth. Paul, what was he? He he was shown mercy because he did it acting out of ignorance. Out of ignorance and unbelief. That was the difference with Paul. He he didn't know. He didn't know. He was ignorant to the truth. He didn't know the truth. Now here's the here's the thing. Truth. Truth is what is Truth is, um, it it agrees with a spiritual reality. Truth comes from God. Truth comes from a spiritual reality. And in the physical world, we we know truth by by, does it match reality in the physical world? And, well, most of the time that's true. But in Paul's life, truth had to match spiritual reality. That was the real truth. Things had to be seen from God's perspective. In God's perspective, Paul was a sinful person. Sinful person. In unbelief, he was doing sinful acts. He was fighting against God. And God was merciful. And he had to look at things from God's perspective. He had to see himself. He had to evaluate himself from God's perspective. And and from uh, God's perspective, he was a, a wretched man. A wretched man. I think so often we look at the wrong perspective. We just look at the physical perspective so much. And I believe we forfeit gratitude and encouragement and drive... When we fail to realize our sinfulness. When we fail to realize things from God's perspective. When we begin to think that, that we're okay. and we're We weren't so sinful. I think that leads to just apathy because it's just in our own strength. But when we begin to see things from God's perspective. And, and God's supernatural work in our life. And this saving grace, this transforming grace. And then we begin to realize the danger from which God snatched us up. And there's no way that we can be, that we can be righteous in and of ourselves. It is an act of God. It is God has to uh, work in our life. Then I think we begin to appreciate things. I think we begin to uh, be grateful to God for His work. Be grateful to God. Salvation is not appreciated when it's from us. When it's our decision. When we did it. When we look at it from from our perspective. Oh, it's just a decision. I walked an aisle. I did this or did that. And, And we really don't appreciate it. But when we begin to look at it from God's perspective, that God reached down and was gracious to this sinful, wretched man, this ignorant person that was actually fighting against God. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you grew up in a a Christian home or with godly parents. There's a a sinful heart. It's a sinful heart that has to be dealt with. And I I think we would appreciate our salvation if we realize if we begin to see things from God's perspective. Let's go on. Paul was ignorant, but God was merciful. And number three, God's sovereign act of grace... God's sovereign act of grace in Paul's life, and the key word there is abundant. Abundant grace. I look at verse 14. He says this, and the and the grace of our Lord was, was more than abundant, with the faith and love with which uh, faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. God's grace was more abundant than Paul's ignorance then Paul's unbelief and his sinfulness and God gave Paul what Paul did not deserve and that was grace. It was grace. It's a transforming grace. And with grace then comes faith. It comes mercy and comes love. And all of that comes from the source of Jesus Christ. He is the source. And in spite of Paul's ignorance and unbelief, God's grace was was more than enough. Now I just want you to notice one theological point here that God initiated these things in Paul's life. This is a, a theological quandary here. Paul God worked first. God was the, the first one. He made the first move in Paul's life. Grace then came after grace then came faith. Now, some people would teach that uh, faith comes first. And and boy, it was my act. I mustered up enough faith. And then God saved me. No, we find that it wasn't that way with Paul's life. It was grace. And as a result of this grace, of God's grace in my life, I just responded in faith, he says. And ours is, is always just a response to God's grace. God is... God is sovereignly at work in our salvation. We call that the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace. And that, let me tell you folks, that little nugget right there sets our church apart from many, many other churches. They see that the act comes from man and not from God. But here in Scripture, in Paul's testimony, Paul recognized it was God who worked first in his life. And I believe that. I believe that's true. Paul moved and he lived in a world of ignorance and unbelief and hateful and hatred. And he, he now lives a life of, of love and faith and of truth. And the gospel of these false teachers, this Judaism that's being taught here based upon the law, does not have any kind of power to change a life. It's powerless. It cannot do this. This is not grace. This is not transforming grace. It cannot produce faith. Keeping the law cannot produce faith. Keeping the law cannot change a heart. Keeping the law cannot establish a relationship with God. Now notice what Paul is doing here. The whole of verse 14. This is Paul's conversion experience. This is is what happened in his heart, in his life. And he describes it, and he labels it, and he categorizes it in spiritual terms. Not physical terms. Like, I made a decision, or I did this, or I did that. He couched it in spiritual terms because he was viewing things from a spiritual standpoint. And it's from that standpoint, folks, that Paul's cup was overflowing. He was filled with love and grace and mercy. He was setting his mind on things above. Now is there an application for us here? I think so. We, we see things from God's perspective, from the spiritual perspective, and it and it, yields, it yields gratefulness to God. Because God is at work in our life. And folks, that, that motivates us. Listen, if it is of an ourselves, there's no real motivation. We just have to keep on keeping on. But when we begin to realize that it is God who has initiated this, He is the one that is working in our life. He is the one that has the transforming grace in our life. If we just keep setting our mind on the things above, He is at work in our life. And folks, there's motivation to that. That's motivation. That's, you can you can deal with, with worry You can deal with apathy. You can deal with fear when you're looking at spiritual reality then. If we just look at the physical thing, we're going to worry. There's going to be apathy. We're not going to have the enthusiasm. We're not going to have the zeal to live a life of worship to to God. There's not going to be any motivation for ministry. Paul's life was abundant. Abundant. Because he, he kept his mind on spiritual things from the spiritual perspective. Let's go on. Number four. Paul's doctrinal statement uh, uh, support here. Paul's doctrinal support. And the key word here is trust, uh, trustworthy. Trustworthy. Verse fifteen, it says, "It is a trustworthy statement, deserving a full acceptance." Now, what Paul is doing here is he is going back to uh, what the early church was doing, was establishing really a doctrinal statement, and they would use. It wasn't written down necessarily, but it would. They would use a, a sentence that would help identify a, a truth to combat some error. And that would be a kind of a fixed point or a reference point for, for truth. And so he quotes, it really should be in quotes here, a trustworthy statement. The word trustworthy means faithful the Word. I like that. It's a trustworthy statement. This, this word is faithful. This is, this is a truism. He says um, that Christ... Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now that's the statement. It's just eight words in the Greek. Christ came into the world to save sinners. What Paul is doing here is is he is um, Paul's experience was not based upon his own uh, intuition or interpretation of of what is happening around Him. It's based upon the fact of the Word of God. In fact, you you kind of get this statement. You find this. Christ alluded to this. We see this in Matthew. And it probably came from the disciples. This little statement. This little um, axiom. These eight words. that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Among whom I am chief of all, He says. But that little that little statement is is like a little doctrinal statement, and he is supporting what's happening to him based upon this this uh, this statement that probably came directly from Christ that, that was part of the uh, part of the uh, body of knowledge that was coming together in the early church. Now, this doctrinal statement is emphasizing a couple of things here. It's emphasizing the, the incarnation that Christ came into the world and His pre-existence, that he was, he was God and He came into the world. But it's also pointing out His mission, why He came. He didn't come to judge. He didn't come to establish His kingdom. He came to what? To save. And the implication is, is that we need saving. That we are completely unable to save ourselves we we need someone to rescue us. That's the idea, and Paul says I am first in line, whom I am I am chief. I am I am the foremost of all. Now there's two ways that you could take that. Some people say, well, Paul was just talking about he was the most famous of sinners that had seen God's transforming grace. I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. He, he probably, that is probably true, but I think it. I think Paul's just realizing his sinfulness. I like the way one commentary put it, the closer to the light you come, the more dirt you see. And that's true in my own life. The closer to God I get, the closer to His holiness and His righteousness that I get, the more filth that I see, the more uh, impure motives that I see in my own heart. So I think Paul sees himself as the foremost of sinners and we see that in Romans chapter 7. He just cries out, Lord, who's going who's gonna to save me from this body? This body that's wrapped up in sin. is the foremost of sinners. And so he realizes his sinfulness. I think honesty about, about who we are is essential for appreciation of what God has done for us. Folks, if we see ourselves as pretty good people, I wasn't bad. You know, I really wasn't wasn't robbing banks. I wasn't that big of a liar. We we'll begin to see ourselves in that light. And what's the grace of God? Well, he was pretty good. Maybe He saved me because I was pretty good. And that changes everything. That changes everything. When when I see myself as the way I really am, a sinful person fighting against God, and yet God was gracious anyway, and God was loving anyway, and He was merciful anyway, and that changes things. Then that fills my heart with gratitude. Lord, thank You. Thank You for what You have done. Let me ask you, are you close enough to God to see the dirt? Are you close enough... To a righteous, holy God. Do you know the Word well enough? Is it penetrating the heart to where it's, it's cutting right through the thoughts and intents of the heart? Let's move on. Paul, was, uh, Paul had based his experience not just upon his experience, but, but upon the truthful teaching of Christ. And then number five, and the reason for Paul's conversion. Now, this is really interesting in verse, uh, in verse 16. It says, Yet for this reason I found mercy. I found mercy. I was the foremost of sinners. And for this reason I, I found mercy with, with God. Now for what reason? Why did He find this mercy? So that in me, as the foremost, the, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might demonstrate His perfect patience. As an example for for those who would believe in Him for eternal life, God saved Paul to demonstrate His patience. Now think about that. Saved Paul to demonstrate His patience. God is always wanting to demonstrate His character. God is always wanting to demonstrate um, His attributes. And so He saved Paul to demonstrate just this one little character of patience. The word demonstrate there is a really interesting term. It means to thrust forth, to kind of push it in your face. God wants to, to push it in our face here. It's kind of like a child. Your children, they come out of Sunday school and they, they've worked on this little project. And, and you know, you can't really even tell what, it's, what it is. Maybe it's made of popsicle sticks. And you look at it and there's glue everywhere. And they push it right in your face. Look, Daddy! That's what God is doing. He's putting putting this right in our face. What is it? It's patience. His patience. Patience is long-suffering. His endurance. Endurance in the face of indignation. in the face of injury. And God is certainly patient with Paul. Paul was fighting against against him. Now, can you imagine finding out God saved me simply just to show His patience. Just to show that that He is is patient. I believe when we don't see ourselves as we should, and we don't see God as we should, we don't see God's grace as we should, we will fail to see the magnitude of God. We will fail to see the, the, the true attributes of God, His grandeur, His majesty. His character, His attributes, His patience, His mercy and grace. When we fail to see a spiritual reality, when we set our minds on physical things as opposed to to spiritual things, folks, we're not going to be encouraged by that. We're not going to go anywhere based upon that. But when we begin to see a spiritual reality, see things from God's perspective, His character just begins to shine through. Just like a diamond when light hits it, the light just refracts everywhere. And you see all kinds of things that you didn't see before. When God begins to work in our life and we begin to get close to God and deal with our sinfulness the way we should, we we see God's truth. and We see God's character, His attributes. And we are amazed. And we're amazed. We're awestruck. We're given over to worship and praise to God. And God just wants to demonstrate one little aspect in Paul's life with Paul through his conversion. just, Just look at my patience. And we step back and we look at Paul's life fighting against God. And we say, yeah, God, you're patient. You're patient. Number six, and last of all, Paul's expression of praise. All of this, folks, has to lead somewhere. It's going to lead to an expression of praise to God. Spiritual reality will always lead when we understand it. When we see ourselves as God sees us, when we begin to see God for who He is, and we begin to see what He has done for us through His transforming grace, it will always lead to praise and the and the uh, the key word there is complete. Isn't that wonderful? It's complete praise. It's pure praise. It's unadulterated. It's it's a, um, not hypocrisy praise. It's it's true, genuine, pure praise to God. It's complete, and He says now. Now to the King, eternal. And you can hear the emotions in, in Paul just just rising up, having gone over these truths in his own life. He says, now to the King. And it's talking about God's sovereignty in every part of life. To the King. He is King. Eternal. Not just sovereign Now. Not just at this present time, but every moment in the past, and every moment in the present, and every moment in the future. Eternal. Now to the King, eternal, immortal. God does not fear death. He is outside of death. He is sovereign over death. He does not fade. His sovereignty does not fade. He does not spoil, does not diminish, does not minimize in any kind of way. There's no corruption with God or decay. It's immortal and invisible. Unseen. Unseen. That's just what it means. Unseen. Folks, there's a reality beyond what we can see. A reality beyond what we can see. We have to live a life of faith unto God. And this is the only God. There is no other God. He's an invisible God. We don't see him, but we know that he's there. It's a spiritual reality, and it just leads to praise. It leads to praise. Paul's praise is ignited because he understands a spiritual reality. The gospel of Jesus Christ then validates. God has worked in his life by this transforming grace that we see, and it brings praise to God. It brings praise to God. Now let's just apply this a little bit to you and your life. do Do you have the vitality, the spiritual vitality that God provides? That God's transforming grace provides? Have you ever experienced that in your own life? I have to ask those questions in my own heart. Can I point back to the time that Lord, yes, you absolutely worked in my heart. I don't have the same desires. I'm a different person than I used to be. I have spiritual vitality. Let me ask you this. Are you tapping into that spiritual vitality? Or or, or do we just live a physical life and we never really get above the ceiling? We never get beyond the, uh, the physical. We don't get into the invisible the spiritual world the spiritual realities listen when we do when we begin to interpret our life in light of God and and spiritual truths that will lead us to deeper richer worship that will lead to a life of worship not a Sunday of worship but a life of worship it will motivate us for ministry it will motivate us for for life in general to live a life of god and it would be there'd be energy there there would be encouragement there we will not live defeated lives and it's all a matter of focus it's all a matter of where we want to place our focus maybe just close with just this one little stint, uh, statement here and this is from John Kitchen John Kitchen has written a commentary on the book of 1 Timothy and and honestly it's just the best commentary i believe and he says this about this particular passage he says knowing who god is and who i am are the dual lens two lenses like glasses here that keep that keep reality clearly in focus and he's not talking about a sp- physical reality he's talking about a spiritual reality two lenses When I see myself as who I really am, and I see God as who He really is, that will keep myself in check. That will keep me uh, from just looking at the physical things, but that will keep my sharp focus on spiritual things. Paul is a perfect example of that. His testimony is a perfect example of that. What does God want to demonstrate to the world through your life? I saved Carl Dingus. Look at that! Look how patient I was, or look how merciful I was. What's God? What did God save you for? What's the spiritual reality there? How do we how do we interpret those things? We have to see them from from a spiritual reality, from God's perspective. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for exposing us to these truths. Thank You, Lord, for for Paul's testimony, what You're doing, what You have done in Paul's life as an example to the rest, everyone who believes. We can look back and say, yes, God, we see that You are a patient God. A- and we glorify You for that, for Your patience. And Lord, I can look in my own life and I say, Lord, I thank You for Your patience. I pray, Lord, that we would just continue to see ourselves the way you see us so that we would be constantly, continuously motivated out of of gratitude, a heart of gratitude toward ministry, toward life of worship that's lived for you. Just a life of devotion, Lord, to you. A life of love. A life that that loves you with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole strength. Lord, we, we know that you have to work in us to produce that. We can't do that. It's a spiritual vitality, really, that only you can give. Of course, the law can't give that. It's only your gospel. Only your transforming grace can produce spiritual life. And Lord, I I pray that we would just live up to that. Help us to keep our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.